Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk. A fascinating story of three long lost siblings adopted and grew up without knowing each other has taken another turn. In 2020, two of the siblings were reunited on the ITV show Long Lost Family, which also brought the discovery of another brother. And then I heard on the podcast, The Indo Daily, about the potential of a fourth sibling. And it's really a story of Ireland's history at the time. And I'm delighted to be joined today by two of those siblings, Helen and David, Helen Ward and David McBride, who are here to tell their story in their own words. So good afternoon, first of all. Alan and, and David. Thank you. Um, Good afternoon. It was a story, I suppose, Helen, first of all, of, of two long-lost siblings, both abandoned in mysterious circumstances. For, for people that aren't familiar, I suppose, with the initial part of this story, can you tell us your memory of it? As a child, I remember my parents at a... I was a very young age, I'd say probably four or five, when they told me I was adopted. And I always remember sitting up on my mother's knee, she giving me a big hug. And I suppose she was trying to explain it. Yeah. Um, but it was something that I kept in my mind. And then when I was about seven or eight, I was at a funeral with, of an old aunt of my father's. And I remember all the cousins playing out in the garden and we were all having great fun. And then one of my cousins came up and said to me, he said, you're the adopted child in the family and I'm there looking. What does that mean? Yeah. Oh God, I heard that before and it kind of came back to me. And, you know, from then, that memory has stayed with me. Then over time, my mum was always very open about talking about adoption and stuff like that. So when I became about 18, I decided I'd confront my dad. And he told me that um, all they knew was that I was adopted. Mm. And basically he said, Helen, just let sleeping dogs lie. Leave it at that. You know, we're your parents. We love you. Yeah. Leave it at that. But through all of your your formative early childhood years, really from yeah. kind of earliest memories, you knew this was the, the situation. A- absolutely. You were so yeah. then at about 18, I decided I'd do a little bit of searching myself and I approached Bernardo's. From there, I, you know, dipped my feet in and out because it is a very emotional yeah, I can imagine. journey um, and it requires a lot of thinking. And then when my own children were born, I remember looking at my firstborn, Adele, and saying, my God, your grandmother, whoever she is, wherever she is, is missing out on the most beautiful little girl I've just had. And it brought me back to the moments of the day, like looking at Adele at a day old and then thinking I was two days old when I was left. That really had an impact on me. So at 35 years of age, I approached a social worker and it was then when I went um, to get my files from her, she said to me that, are you aware that you are a foundling, that you were found in a phone box? That particular day, my mission was going to um, find my birth mother. I took in what she said about the phone box, but I was so disappointed when I saw the birth certificate and it read child exposed on Ladies Well Terrace in Drahad or in Dundalk. Um, no birth mother, no birth father. And that is where I... That's where it starts. That's where it really started. When yeah. you heard the, for the first time, Helen, um, you know, I, I suppose you, you knew that, the, that you'd heard the word foundling that had been used, but when you heard that you had been left, you know, in a phone box, like what was going through your head when you heard that? Like it took me time to 
absorbed that part of it. And again, I was trying to think what were the circumstances? She must have been in severe desperation to just put me into a phone box. And it did take a number of years to... I suppose, process it all. And now I have to say the social worker at the time was very, very good. And she Mm. set out to think, look, your mum must have been very desperate, placed you in the phone box, but look at how she has done it. She has dressed you really well, put you on blankets, wrapped you up with a beautiful little blanket. I was actually in a beautiful handmade dress that particular day going off on my journey. And there was a bottle, a warm bottle beside me. And where I was placed was in um, Ladieswell Terrace and Dundalk. So it was close to the hospital, you know. So there was a lot of thought. She said there was a lot of care there, Helen. Whoever put you there had a lot of thought and a lot of care about where they were going to place you. So it wasn't just uh, abandoned, as so to speak. You know, they thought about where they were going to place us. David, what's your earliest memories of, of your childhood? Uh, I had a very, very good childhood. I was uh, brought up just outside of Belfast. I had a really, really good childhood. And I knew when I was younger that there was something different simply because I had um, social services sitting in the house and checking on me whilst I was being fostered. And um, unlike Helen and John, I was, in, I was fostered for quite a number of years with the same family who adopted me. There were reasons for that, that social services made aware. But... I became aware that I was the background to me being a foundling when I went to Belfast to get a birth certificate and couldn't get one. I was told, but you can get an adoption certificate. And I thought, well, that's a bit strange. Why can't I get a birth certificate? Mm -hmm. And then when I picked up my adoption certificate on my date of birth, it said on or about. And it said father and mother unknown, uh, place of birth unknown. So basically, at the end of the day, that sort of started giving me just some thoughts. Now, at that point, my father explained everything to me. And I really didn't feel think much about it at that point in time because I had such a happy upbringing. What age you know, roughly, David, what age roughly, sorry, were you at that stage? I was 15. Okay. So You're quite young. Uh, so I was, qu- yeah, I was yeah. quite young. And, um, so I never really thought anything about it because I had such a wonderful family bringing me up. And at the end of the day, um, I put it to the back of my mind. I Obviously, I got contacted three times by various newspapers who um, kept up with the story and would sometimes want to do a story and would say, look, you were the child that was found just outside of Belfast, which was very unusual at the time. Um, we'd, we'd like to do an interview to see if you're doing anything. But then it's sort of... Um, It's in 2002, I was working and um, I got a phone call and I thought it was someone actually winding me up saying that the BBC wanted to do a documentary on foundling. And I said, well, why have you called me? And they said, well, we were doing some research and there's numerous newspaper articles about you as a child and about your case. So therefore, we would want to know, would you want to do it? So I ended up um, doing a documentary in 2003 about foundlings, but it never materialised. And in between 2003 and 2019, um, I'd been approached to as to have a chapter written on in me about me in a book about my background. And then in 2019, my older sister 
called me up and said, look, I've just watched um, the Long Lost Families program and they've done the first one in DNA. Uh, why don't you actually get your DNA done? Because there's the opportunity now for you to try and find someone and you know the researcher, so why don't you contact them? Mm. So in the end, um, I, said to him, I said to my older sister, I don't know if I really want to go through this. Um, and the position was that I contacted the researcher the researcher said, yeah, we'll do a DNA test, David. I promised you it would help you as much as I possibly could. Um, so we did a DNA test. A couple of weeks later, they called me back and said, look, we just need you to do another DNA test. And I said, okay. And it never, I never thought anything of oh, it. Yeah. Just thought maybe this. So I then, I then got a phone call early September from, um, from Long Lost Family saying, we'd like to come up and meet with you. And I know from my from doing things before like this that there must be something in the offing, and so they came up to meet with me in October, and that's when um, I find out about Helen, uh, and so that's that's where it all comes from. At the end yeah. of the day, was just simply um, me going to Belfast as a fifteen-year-old, not paying much attention to it over the years, being approached about my story. And then it sort of escalated from about 2002, 2003 onwards, where I was approached numerous times about doing different articles, and different yeah. shows, etc., to discuss my my upbringing. Had had you ever, David, suspected that you could have another sibling? You know, I know you were obviously very young, a teenager at 15, but before you went to get the, the initial DNA test, had it ever crossed your mind? There could be a sibling out Not there. really. My my interpretation of what had happened to me was was I had this fantasy picture of my mother being about 14, 15 years of age and falling pregnant through no fault of her own at the end of the day and then me just being left. So I, 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 that was the only thought I had. So to suddenly find out that I've got not only a sibling but a full sibling was surreal but really fantastic. Where were you found, David? Do you mind I was you? found in a place called Dunmurray, which is just outside of Belfast. I know, I was yeah. Placed in a, you know Dunmurray? Yeah. I was placed in a car, and the background to my story was that I was placed in a car, and um, the lady who found me, her husband was the head of the gynaecology teaching unit at Queen's University Medical right. School in Belfast. Uh, he, they were Canadians, um, and she says that she came out to her car at nine o'clock at night on a winter's night in 16th of January and found this baby on the front seat to pick up the shopping that she'd done the morning before, which I find a little bit unusual. She took me in. Now, this lady had three children. She took me in, placed me on the kitchen table, and run across to a neighbor and left me there until a neighbor comes. And then the neighbour come, took over, and actually the neighbour then called the police. So I was found, that was the background to me being found, That's and I was taken found. straight away to the Belfast, the hospital in Belfast, and then moved up to a children's home in Larne. Do, Helen, did you at any stage over the years ever take a DNA test, or how did that, when did I suppose your search start to gain momentum? In So after doing... Um, speaking with the social worker in 2003, again, I was thrown back. And this is the journey of a foundling because you're dipping your feet in and out of 
you know, trying to find answers. Sometimes what you find you need to, or don't find, mm. you need to process. So um, when I, it always happened on my birthday. So when I was about 40, a friend of mine said to me, he said, you know, it's about time you, you did something about this. Why don't you ring the Joe Duffy show? See, can you get any information from there? And I was like, oh, I'll think about it, I'll think about it. Listen, there's the number, pick it up now before you go pick the kids up. So I kind of just grabbed a couple of files I had, picked up the phone and I said, okay, sure, they're not going to do anything about it, you know. And then before I knew it, I was on the air telling my story. And that's where I discovered um, the, the lorry driver came forward and also the guard that night that was on duty that came to the scene he came up on the phone as well to have a chat. And since then, I got to meet both of them. Oh, and man. they were pieces of the puzzle along the yeah. way that, you know, here was the lorry driver, the very first person that came into contact with me. Now, that's a huge, to me, that was a huge find. I'm Even when I went to meet him, the, that particular day was a memory I will never, never forget. It must have been very emotional, Helen. It was so yeah. emotional. And you know, he came into the room, Andrea, and he had a most beautiful bouquet of baby pink roses. And I think it was from a Second Chance. I think it was a florist down in um, Cork or Kerry direction. And um, I just remember just the excitement in his you know, face, the excitement for myself and I had my two daughters with me that time. Um, but it was such an emotional moment. Yeah. And even doing any of the shows that he joined in on, it's still such a huge um, emotional... Yeah, with a connection. Uh, connection. Yeah. But it was such an amazing thing. And likewise with the guard, because he said to me, when I came to the scene, brought you to the hospital, came home to tell the story to my wife. Over the years... They always thought about I was going to say, I'd say often, I'd say always. many times. Yeah, so when I went up to actually meet him, unfortunately at the time, his wife had passed away. Now, he has since passed away, but I felt like royalty going yeah. into the house. And I, it was the one thing he said, my wife and I never stopped thinking about you. And on my files, because my dad gave me my files, at maybe around 40 this is your, your, your my adopted adopted father. Adult, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had only heard, I think, at the time that um, I had been a foundling. Okay, I didn't even look at those files for many, many years. And he did say to me, he said, um, "This was the guard." He said, "On files that I um, that I had researched, I always put that I wish to speak to you if you wish to speak to, to me. me." Yeah. Um, bring us. To the, I suppose, the point where the ITV show, The Long Lost Family, that's really where the the connection and the, the dots, that, that's where you, this is how you met David. So I, I met David my on my birthday, 50th birthday. My best friend, Emer gave me the DNA test. I took it in 2018 and I let it lie there with my friend Emer because my dad at the time, my adopted dad at the time wasn't well. 2019, she said to me in July, she said, somebody's trying to contact you. They think I'm you, but they're trying to contact you. So they're going to give you a ring tomorrow. And I said, <clears throat> that's fine. I was out and about and uh, I had finished with my friend, um, my morning coffee with my friend, got back into my car and I got a call from the UK to say that um, they had discovered I had a full sibling. It was from the researchers of long lost families. How did you feel when you heard that? Oh, I was, I, I, I was over the moon. 
I was excited. I didn't know what I was, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I was numb. It was like, am I listening to this person right? Are they sure? Like, it, Had I, you suspected it over the years, like in the same way as David? No. Like David, I was thinking that our birth mother was a young woman mm. in distress, had to give me up. And that was all I ever really thought about over the years. Yeah, I kind of, you know, probably dipped in and out of it thinking that there could be half siblings out there or whatever. Mm. But when I heard it was a full sibling, your your mind just goes uh, into a, a, another dimension. You know, you're you're trying to process it. You're trying to think of all the scenarios. You know, okay, so there's a mother and father now in the equation. Um, you know, as in, did you I, ever have any information on on your your birth mum and, and dad, Helen? No, nothing, nothing, absolutely did, nothing. Did you, David? Did you ever? Was there? Did that ever come up in any no, way? No, there was. There was nothing because it was an Elon Haystack. How the, the issue with with the mother and the father at that point in time is that it was a criminal offence, so they could have gone to jail, you know. So, um, and obviously in Ireland at that time, not all children were born in hospitals. Well, throughout the UK, probably not all children were born in hospitals. So we had no indication of who our parents were at that point in time. Um. Do you remember the day you met David? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in a room in the hotel up in Carlingford. I walked into the room. I remember just seeing him there, giving him a big, big hug. And I know we were surrounded by cameras. We sat down and everything in the room just disappeared but the two of us. And we just chatted for, I think the camera crew just let us chat for about two hours. It felt a bit yeah. three hours or yeah, four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just chatted as if... You know, it was like as if you haven't met your friend for years and you yeah. just want to catch up. How are you getting on? Yeah, <laughs> and this is where I find it so fascinating because we never knew about each other. We yeah. never knew that we existed. And here we are looking at each other, figuring out, do you look like me? Do I look like you? We both had photo albums. Similarities. Your girl looks like mine. My really? Girl, yeah. How, how were you feeling that day, David? Um, I was excited that day, you know, you go. There's it's such a range of emotions. You know, you 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 take a leap of faith when you do this because you hope that you hope that everything will work out. Suddenly, you're having a sister who you've never met before, and you're just hoping. You're thinking to yourself, "I hope this works out, and I hope we become really close." And the strange thing about it was, I felt very protective towards Helen from the first time I met her. Who's the who's was, who's uh, who's older? David? Who's the eldest, David? I'm the oldest one. I'm the oldest. So I felt very protective towards Helen. Helen was 68, I was 62. So even from the first time we met, there was that feeling of this is my wee sister. I have to protect her. I have to look after her. Uh, and that was, that was, I find that a little bit strange considering I'd never known about Helen. Yeah. Uh, and that sudden, that sudden feeling. But you are a wee bit apprehensive. But when we met, we just sat there and we spoke for two hours and a bit, as Helen said. And we never even realised the cameras were there. In fact, even the people who were doing the programme were just—they just let it run because we never had excuse. Just... We just sat and talked. We looked at photographs, and in fact, one of the strangest photographs was of Eva, Helen's youngest daughter, and my youngest daughter, and we compared them, and they're like twins, and they just looked so much alike. So suddenly things were falling into place. When you look at your children, you look at one another, and then you say to yourself, well, actually, this is my family. Um, 
the show you guys have met, the ITV programme Long Lost Family brought the discovery of another brother, Helen. That's right, uh, John. That all came about from our niece Donna in Australia, in the Gold Coast, who had seen the show, um, the Long Lost Family show. How long after the show was it? So this was um, 2021. So uh, was it, oh my gosh, <laughs> now my head is going. Twenty. The first show we did was uh, June 2020. Okay. Yeah. So the following February, yep. she saw the show and um, again, knowing her father's backstory, she connected the fact that I was found in a phone box. She looked at David and said that he resembled the walk resembled his father, the hands <laughs> resembled his father. And she said, Dad, have you seen the show? We have to do DNA. I think they could be your I siblings. Think be yours. And of course, I think John was a bit reserved, you know. Oh, Donna, leave it, leave it live for a minute. Because it's very, very emotional. I, I, so I can't. Emotional. Like, I mean... Yeah, and I think everything you know nearly is is turned you know is yeah, possibly going to be think, turned upside down. I or think with John, like I I had told David about I had told David the story of John, not knowing John obviously, um, that because in two thousand and twelve, as I said, I did the Joe Duffy show. Two thousand and thirteen, John had put out his he dipped into the water with it as well. Okay. And somebody knew, I think it was down in Drogheda or something, when I was doing a bit of research, somebody said to me in 2013, oh yes, there was another gentleman, he was found in a phone box uh, also. And I, I, and I asked, where is he? Who is he? Can I get in touch with him? And Also well, in Drogheda around the same timeline? Was it, he was Drogheda. I he was, was you were in Dock, yeah, yeah, sorry. But, uh, but they said, uh, unfortunately, we've no contact for him, okay? So the gentleman that had found John had protected his identity because when John had met um, Paul Murphy, the man who had found him, John and his family also needed time to take, to absorb the whole situation. So John wanted to keep it private and, you know, have his time Mm. to take it all in. Then when Donna sees this, you know, it was like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, we have to do something about it, Dad, you know. So it was, I think, her encouragement um, and her lovely, upbeat mannerism um, and love for her father and family that gave them the, you know, the push push to to take the DNA. When did you first meet John, David? Um, First met John on a Zoom link. Um, What was happened was that John had obviously, uh, that John had by that point uh, uh, had contacted long lost families and they arranged for a link for us to uh, speak to John on a Saturday morning. So we came together with John, had a video link, and then we met John in person when we did the follow up program for long lost families, and that was in Banbridge. Was it the same as when you met Helen? Yes, it was. I mean, again, you know, me and Helen, got we got on really, really well. And again, John had taken a leap of faith. And as soon as John came into the room, again, we sat down, we talked. And it was as if the cameras weren't there. Then we went out for a walk in the town. Then we headed somewhere for a meal that evening, etc. And it just all, it seemed so natural. The whole thing seemed very natural from the outset. Um. 
Where, where, sorry, is John in the? Is John older? In the middle. He's, he's in, in the. Middle. So it's so David. Nineteen sixty-five. David sixty-two. John sixty-five. 65. Me, sixty-eight. Sixty-eight. Yeah. Um, I suppose the the big thing that has emerged, you know, now in in more recent years is that there's the potential of a fourth sibling. How did that come about, Helen? Well, somebody had said to me um, they had seen um, a picture on a social media site. So I went straight into the social media site to look at, um, it was a Newry site um, uh, news, of newspaper cuttings from the past and whatever. So I immediately looked at it and the heading was baby found in phone box. So that like just... Same time Oh, again. look at it just straight. I see yeah. myself there nearly, you know what I mean? Looked at the picture of the baby, looked at the picture of the nurse, read the article and the common threads that were in it for myself, John and David. Phone box, not for David because he was in the car, but everything else, absolutely similar. So bottle... Same care, care. blankets. The baby was well cared for approximately a week, maybe two weeks old, but it did specify that the care of the baby from birth, yeah. you know, was very good. Um, and then the baby went from there into Daisy Hill Hospital in Newry. Have, where are you on the, um, I suppose, the, the, the find or the trail, David, now? For the, the well, like, is it, it is, is it a certainty there's a fourth sibling or just the potential? Well, I think it's a real possibility given given if you have a look at all the similarities, as Helen has said, found, found well cared for, well dressed, um, baby bottle, etc. Other than me who was found in a car, it's very similar to Helen and John. The fact that the baby was a number of days old, found close to the old A1, which was the main road between Dublin and Belfast. And um, I think the, there's so many similarities there that we do believe that there is a potential that the Newry baby is connected to us um, because of the similarities. And one of the strange things was that I actually sent the picture, the newspaper article with the picture of the Newry baby to my oldest sister and my youngest sister. But it came back that they thought that it was me. Is that, is that, much, of a, is that, that of much of a resemblance? Yeah. There's that much of a resemblance of the baby. So there, there seems to be uh, um, so many similarities that at the end of the day um, when Helen told me about John when we were driving back from Kerry um, I just thought she was I thought she'd gone loopy to be quite truthful <laughs> coming up with I thought there can't be a third one yeah. but this this story just it just mirrors our own stories and you know at the end of the day we know that um, there was that long lost families showed a real interest in this story, but they showed a real interest towards the end of filming our documentary because they did some research into it, into the Newry Baby, but were but obviously stopped because they'd finished the programme and they weren't going to research any further because obviously funding, etc. So they did a lot of research and we found some information from someone who had been on that site who would disclose some information regarding the the Newry baby, which matched the information that had been found out by long-lost families. So that sort of, so there is a little bit of information about the baby, but whether the individual, the the gentleman knows about the story or has seen the story, we don't know. What would you say, David, um, to 
if we want to call them, I suppose, the potential fourth sibling out there today, if on the, the off chance they happen to be tuned into us here in Lunchtime Live or a family member or friend that maybe is aware of the connection or potential story um, and has information, like, how would you encourage them to, to contact you or, or Helen or John and to reach out to you? Well, everything that, everything that we will do, it will be private because we respect, we respect their feelings, we respect their family's feelings. They, they may not want anything to go public. And at the end of the day, we have to respect that. One of the reasons and the main reason we're doing this is because we believe that the Nuri baby may be connected to us. And if the Nuri baby is connected to us, then we would like to meet our brother. And we would like to to welcome our brother into our family if that's what our brother would, would like to do. But uh, alternatively, if the Nuri baby is not connected to us, we could offer the Nuri baby support if they come forward and friendship, etc. And we mm. could sit down and discuss mm. things with them if they wanted to do that. It may be that the Nuri baby, we hope that the Nuri baby is still alive, but it may be that Sadly, the Nuri baby may have passed away, but one of the family may know something. And it may be that the Nuri baby was searching and never found what they were looking for, or they're searching now. So everything will be done confidentiality. It is a difficult decision to make, to come forward. That is a very difficult decision because you are taking a leap of faith, really, at the end of the day. You have an email address. Yeah, Yeah, no, I was just going to say, David, sorry, you have an email address if... um if they want to make contact in, in any way as well, do you? Yeah, the email address, Helen can provide you with the email address. So the email address is family3, the number three, uh, dot info at gmail.com. Okay, and that's the, the email. Um, I want to just ask you, I suppose, before we, we wrap up, a little bit about your, your birth parents, Helen, and um, what, if anything, you know about them. Our birth parents, well, we're only starting to learn um, all about um, our birth parents. Um, We know that she had David around 33 years of age. Um, So she was an older mother having the three of us. Um, She lived in Dublin. She was originally from the south of Ireland. Um, We know that our father was living in Dublin. She came up when she was around 17 years of age to Dublin. Um, And we also know that um, we have 14 half-siblings. And again, on this journey, there's a lot of respect to be had for our siblings as well, because this is a huge journey for them too. You know, so it's, it's a journey not only for us as foundlings, but it also goes for our half-siblings as well for, you know, so there's a lot of meeting people. Yeah. There's a lot of... Have you met any of your half-siblings? I have indeed. Yeah. I, I suppose I've been the lucky one because I'm in Dublin. You're in Dublin. So I'm in yeah, Dublin, yeah. yes. And I have built a great rapport with a number of wow. siblings, half-siblings and a number of nieces and nephews, which again, you know, Again, this story is not just our generation. It's the next generation. It's mm. my children's generation. It's my niece's nephew's generation. Um, you know, to know who their families are. This is, you know, like, it's not just our identity. It's our children's identity, our grandchildren's yeah. identity. 
And it's a story from the past, the 60s, you know, of Ireland, how women were treated. So it's a story of how we have to, what would you say, perceive what went on then. There's no judgment to be made on our mum because we don't know the situation mm. back then. I was going to ask you that, how, you know, like a time from time to time when you, you look back on your story and you see how far you, you know, you've you've come and how your life has changed from meeting Absolutely. David and John and, and your half-siblings. But do you, how do you feel towards your parents? Like if your birth parents, if, if we were, if we could have, you know, rewind the clock and, and you ever had an opportunity to sit down with them? What would you I don't think I, I don't I don't think we would feel we don't feel that we could judge our parents because we don't know the times and people have got to remember Ireland at that time any woman falling pregnant out of wedlock was shunned um she was viewed in most families as bringing the family disgracing the family and was in most instances moved away from the district that she was living in and move somewhere else to have that baby. But our parents were um, quite unusual in that our mother was a Catholic, our father was a Protestant, he was married. Uh, So again, you've got all the three taboos there, Catholic, Protestant, inter-religious relationship, um, and children born out of wedlock. So we can't judge our parents. But what I think we can say about that period of time is that we might well have been shunned as children because of our parents. So our parents may have well made a decision to leave us uh, to avoid the problems that we may have had growing up. Uh, but the one thing that we can say for the three of us is that we were all well cared for. Mm. We were all taken. We were all taken care of for a period of time, and. You know, at the end of the day, in in my situation, I was between 10 and 21 days old. So someone had me for that period of time, whether that was my mother or whether it was a family member, etc. But they obviously thought long and hard about this because none of us were found within a few hours of being born. And they took the time to care for us, the time to feed us, the time to make sure we we were well. And they placed us in in areas where we would be found pretty quickly. So we don't judge our parents and I don't think anybody out there should judge our parents because Ireland at that time Very different era. We know the history we know the history of how women were treated particularly women who fell pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, They were shunned. They were treated as second class citizens and it's likely that a lot of the children would also be shunned and treated in an inappropriate way. So we we don't judge our parents at all. Just finally, David, I I imagine it's changed your life, meeting Helen and John. Yeah, it it has changed my life, but it's changed my life for the better. It has enriched my life. I mean, I've got a beautiful sister now, a beautiful and fantastic brother. We get on really, really well. I've got lovely nieces and nephews. And the thing about it is the children get on so well as well. So, you know, it is, it's a godsend. It's a remarkable story, Helen. It's, a, it's an incredible story. Yeah. It is. But I, I think if you look at the story as well and you see how even our children like Donna 
you know, she was, it was in her mind mm. to find her identity. It was in my mind to find my identity. You know, my children, we talk about the story, even though we have great love and respect for my adopted parents who I brought great joy to, yeah. you know, yeah. and they brought great joy to me like David's situation and John's situation because you can't forget this as well. There's so many aspects to Dude. all of this story. It's been a real pleasure to, to chat to you both here today on the programme because I, I know it's um it's 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 not an easy story I'm sure for you for you both to tell because there's a lot of emotion in, involved in it too but but you're you know you're you're both um so positive um and it's it's great to you know to to hear your your story. So Helen Ward and David McBride, thank you you both so much for joining us here today on Lunchtime Live. Thank you Andrea. Thank you. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk.